Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Welcome to episode 50. We've reached a milestone here on the Wonder Tour. We've been on our mission to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore. And through that, we've learned so many valuable lessons on this journey. And we want to try to encapsulate those lessons so far into a bit of a top 10 wondrous moments that we've had so that we can carry those forward into the next 50 episodes and beyond and really define what it looks like to be a magnanimous leader. Derek, do you want to talk to me a little bit about the history of Wonder Tour and how we got to this point? Sure. We started out, we really, we just had a lot of things that stuck out to us about our favorite stories. And I think that that's a good place to start, which is you just have some observations. You're like, isn't it really cool that Obi-Wan sacrificed himself so that Luke could escape the Death Star, right? And then what are the implications of that? And that's kind of where we started at. We started out that from a leadership perspective and saying, what could you learn from that? But as we went through the first 20 episodes, you busted out this word on me, which was magnanimous. I know you do a lot of reading, you're in all these books, and I was impressed with the word. I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of an academic word. This is this is a heavy word. This is like, but when I looked it up, deep soul was attached to it, as well as the words kind and giving. And what I found that was interesting was the dictionary really didn't have a ton on the word, actually, because it, it's a word because it's implying depth. Those things are kind of hard to define, aren't they? Yeah, the dictionary struggles to define magnanimous. And I think that's actually why we gravitated towards it, because it had this aura of a selfless leader who's constantly extending yourself wisely for the good of others. And it's, it's never taking the selfish perspective, always looking to to expand influence, but not in a power way, expanding influence in a way where we're able to build strong mindsets and strong character in others through our own actions. And so I think that's why we gravitated towards magnanimous, because we wanted something that had a lot of space, a lot of area that we could kind of color in what the definition of it meant and contextualize it for this journey, this wonder tour that we're on together unprecedented levels of understanding. You want that in a leader, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's hard. And so one of the things that we've talked about a number of times is that a leader is not necessarily a centrist, right? You find the balance between things. You're not always trying to land right in the middle, but you find the balance. And so throughout the Wonder Tour so far, we found some of those spectrums. And then we've tried to figure out based on different stories and scenarios, you know, where do we land on those spectrums? So one of the spectrums that we've looked at is the growth mindset, right? And within that, we've talked about how, yes, you want to have a growth mindset, but we also want to understand there's an organic growth rate. There are things that cap how fast you can grow, how fast you can learn. And so we want to be respectful of those natural orders of things and make sure that we take advantage of understanding where that natural growth rate kind of caps out at. So that again, that's just one example here. And we're going to go through the rest of them as we go through our top 10 moments of wonder here. So I don't want to spoil them. But the goal is 
we're not going to be able to cover everything that we covered in the first 49 episodes, but let's go ahead and try to get some of the best moments and let's not just pick out 10 moments that are good, but let's string them together into a cohesive narrative, right? Because we're all about narrative here on Wonder Tour. So let's weave them into a narrative about what makes a magnanimous leader. And 50 episodes just straight up is not going to do it justice, Derek. It's just not. So we're going to need to do a whole lot more here in order to keep unpacking this magnanimous leader. But it, it's it's really good to take a stop and reflect while we're on this journey and figure out what do we have? Let's take inventory and then let's try to reintegrate things into a model. I think about being an archaeologist. We found magnanimous leadership. We've been dusting it off with our special brushes, looking at it with our spectrometer, our X-ray spectroscopy carbon dating. These are the things we've been doing. And in the next 50, the tour is going to shift a little bit. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode and how we're shifting into gear and really leaning into this concept more and more as we reach 100 episodes. So stay tuned for that. I'm excited. Are you ready to jump into the top 10 here? Let's do it. You want to kind of talk about how we're going to do this? Yeah. So let's start with the formula. We're going to introduce the clips. We'll count down 10 to 1. We tried to provide some sort of a order to the moments of wonder here. So we'll introduce where we're at, what type of content we're looking at, what characters we're going to be talking about, and really where do we see this interacting with the model for a magnanimous leader who wants to become better for the good of others. We'll play the clip, and then we'll kind of come back to it and talk to it about a little bit in more detail and weave it together. Maybe try to get all of these clips to make coherent sense from 10 to one in a story. Oh, put a bow on it at the end. I like that. I think the formula sounds great, Drew. Let's jump into it. We wanted to start with something fun, a little bit more lighthearted, though most of this is lighthearted because we're kind of tying together these, these movies and stories that we love with the character development that we crave. So number 10, we're going back to the first Office episode that we looked at. Season five episode, Prince Family Paper. The setup is Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute are going to this company called Prince Family Paper, and they're going to try to take over their territory to get their business right. They, they're going to be the sharks that are eating the, the smaller sharks and the fish or whatever they say while they're in the car there. And finally to the single cell shark. <laughs> yeah, they get down all the way That's how to the business cell. works. <laughs> yeah, they really explained to us how business worked. It was the first time I've understood. <laughs> All right, keep going there. All right, so that's our setup. Um, we find ourselves with Michael and Dwight impersonating these different characters. Michael is a lawyer who's looking for some work and wants to work with this company. Dwight is a potential employee that wants an interview, even though they really don't want to give Dwight an interview. And so they're they're both inside this this small business family-owned business at the same time and they're they're trying to run this scheme to try to get prince family get a read on prince family paper and potentially you know get their customer list yeah a couple of deviants showing up at your door ulterior motives the reason we want to talk about it derek right we think that magnanimous leaders understand what's important to focus on in a given situation. And while most of the stories that we'll share today or the examples that we'll use will be focused around good, <laughs> good leadership traits, good, good examples of leadership, there's, of course, going to be some bad ones as well. And this will be one of the main bad ones where they just 
completely lose focus on what they're trying to do. Specifically, Michael does. Dwight, I guess, doesn't lose focus. But their focus is so narrow that you, they forget about people. They forget about each other. They kind of, you know, it all it all blows apart on them. <laughs> Michael's that kind of character. He can focus so much that he almost goes beyond the focus point and then flips back to wide angle. So it's like and and Dwight definitely is the guy who's the laser beam and the laser beam is so strong it's going to burn a hole through you. So that's what's so fun about the combination. And yeah, we we love this scenario because it plays their stereotypes very well and and then you get to see what kind of chaos you can create by having these kind of myopic blind spots about yourself as you try to do something very simple, which is just go check the place out. Nobody said you got to go get the cold customer list and all this stuff, but they don't see that. They're like, right, they spend too much energy and they make it very impractical finally in their situation. And that that is why we use this. It's kind of a negative way of teaching. So we look at this example and then we flip it back around, right? So let's play the clip and then we'll come back and talk about it. Decide Because of that, you could decide, well, I'm going to help nobody. Well, that's not magnanimous at all either. So you have to figure out how are you going to position yourself to make the most impact? That's about, you, you have to have discernment. Well, let's get back to Michael because he's sitting there at the desk and he's talking about all the things. He's not doing very good with his persona that he's, that he's made up. At one point, he's like, yeah, yeah, Michael Scarn, because it's the only thing he could think up. It's, it's his ultimate persona, which is it's better than Date Mike. It's it's better than, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a couple of other ones that aren't too extreme because he makes up some pretty crazy ones. But you get the point. Like, basically, he's it, it, this is like his secret agent. I mean, he literally tapped into the best persona for this mission because he didn't want to make any mistakes like that. <laughs> that is his logic, right? He's like, well, I've just got to tap into Michael Scarn here. And he really is switching context mentally to that set of rules, which is think about a spy, <laughs> spy rules, right? Spy rules are accomplish the mission at all costs. Do not divulge your true identity. I mean, in Michael terms, I would say be slick, be clever, of course, this is Michael. So he's over clever, which is revealing what your motivations are, right? Because you're over clever about the Michael Scarn. Because I think this is kind of fun to see what his mental state was kind of in this situation. Well, he's playful, number one. And I don't being playful in this situation. And that, this is something that happens in the office is is great. Like you said, you don't want to become overly committed to the role to the point where he, things are like falling apart <laughs> to go back to inception. Like the dream is, you know, the subconscious is starting to tear you apart <laughs> and you're like just continuing to not make any changes as a result. You're just like, no, just I'm committed to the role. It's OK. You know, Michael's always kind of falling in and out of these roles as he goes over committing, uh, uh, definitely never under committing to the role. We'll say that I, don't, I can't think of a single example where he under commits to the role. But <laughs> he, that's so I, true. I, it's improv, you know, I mean, he's he's really in his improv mode, right? So he's always, he's definitely into the role and he, he plays it, plays it out. Anyway, well, he's overcommitted and it hurts him because yeah. he, once he gets so committed to the Michael Scarn that he doesn't realize what damage he's going to do to Prince family papers. So we see from the clip, right, that Michael, he just goes too far. He comes up with this like 
I'm going to layer on this super persona. The, the lesson here as leaders, again, if you want to be a magnanimous leader, someone who is doing it for the good of others, you're going to put the right amount of energy in it and you're going to have a certain practicality about how you do this, knowing that, number one, when you're putting in the right amount of energy, you're not going to put on a heavy layered persona. And you've said this before to me, you change the way you talk. You make your voice sound deeper or something like that. A magnanimous leader isn't going to do those type of things because they know ultimately that that's not sustainable. It's going to fall apart. They just need to be themselves and they need to be in this for the good of others. So what am I missing here about our reflections? So I think there's something here, too. I love the point that you made about how if you get too focused in and you put too much energy into one or two buckets, then it can actually cause you to kind of dispel that energy into the void because you end up not really achieving the purpose. You're just like you get so laser focused on the goal that you you lose sight of the purpose. And I know some people will equate those things together, but I would say those are very different things, the goal and the purpose. And so when you get so laser focused on the goal, you might forsake your purpose and the purpose is really what it's all about. And I would tie this in as kind of why this is a top 10 moment and really the number 10 moment here in this story arc that we're trying to tell, because this is about balance. And, you know, we're both huge Star Wars fans. You know, the force is all about balance and there's something to it there, right? We found that these magnanimous traits, we don't want to say that we should always be right in the middle on things. We've said it before. We don't want to be just these centrists who are always like, well, I can see both sides of it. And you, well, you can never know one way or the other. No, that's not the point. But what we find as we study great leaders and stories is that oftentimes there's, you know, you're trying to find that right balance on the spectrum of focus and energy expenditure. And so I think this is just a really good starting point where we can see kind of what happens when that balance is out of whack and we go too far in one direction or another. Let's move on to number nine. Number nine is magnanimous leaders play the long game. This is all about strategy. Strategy, vision, got to play the long game. And for this, we chose Dr. Strange. Tell me, Drew, tell me about Dr. Strange clip here. Oh, this is one of those moments where afterwards, when I listened back to it, I got a little bit of goosebumps. When we're kind of thinking about things in the pre-recorded state, we have some ideas and we don't know how they're going to do in execution. And oftentimes they evolve and become more when we talk about them together. And that's kind of the purpose of going on the Wonder Tour with other people. This was one that definitely did that, where initially we talked about how we're strategically breaking the game and how that can be a, a great tactic to pull out every once in a while. It's not so that you can use every day, but when you can use it, it's super powerful. So the setup here is Doctor Strange in the first Doctor Strange movie is having the confrontation with Dormammu. Dormammu being this, you know, ancient evil being or whatever that's trying to overtake and consume Doctor Strange's reality. And the thing is, Dormammu exists outside of time. And so Doctor Strange, being the master of time, essentially, within this reality, realizes that he can leverage time against Dormammu and that he can win in the end by seeking a completely different perspective than Dormammu, right? Dormammu just looked at the variables of how much power he has, how much influence he has. He's been, he's so, again, laser focused on his objective 
that he fails to understand that there's other, there's another axis that this game can be played on. And that's what strategy allows us to do, right? As leaders, uh, thinking strategically allows us to find those other axes, those other rails we can run on that might allow us to win in the long run. Thinking of the axes that people don't, other people don't, right? That's that's the key. They may not have considered that. So let's play the clip. He's going to do something spectacular because he's a superhero. But he doesn't do something spectacular because he's a superhero. He does something with his mind and with his arcane skill. He takes that unique skill that he has and he figures out a way to apply it to the situation. When he does that, he actually creates a lock. And so in game theory, what happens is basically he has figured out what the outcome is going to be. And he's figured out that this one event, his confrontation with Dormammu is meaningless, pretty much. It's if he if he constructs the narrative in a certain way, each interaction with Dormammu will have no it doesn't matter if he loses. He can lose over and over and over again. And that's actually where we see his character develop because he's willing to lose. I mean, Assumedly, he feels pain every single time that he's getting walloped by Dormammu. And we see all these different ways. He has, you know, he's getting crushed. He's getting spikes jabbed through him. He's getting hit by some magic energy and stuff like that. Right. And he continually comes back over and over and over again because he's realized that he has this advantage of time on Dormammu. And so instead of, you know, destroying Dormammu the way that we might expect in a traditional Marvel movie, he plays to his own advantage and he understands game theory better and says, okay, I can just keep looping time on you. You'll never be able to escape me. It's an, I'm inevitable for you, essentially. He invents a new rule, really. And I think that's what's so beautiful about this is that, and I was really impressed by that when I first saw it, the first time I ever watched the movie, which this is one of my favorite ones. And it's because he's got such a unique combination of, of who he is. But he, he invents this new rule and he figures out a way. And some people might call that cheating. I don't know. I think when the rules are established and all written down and they're agreed upon before you play the game, that's cheating. <laughs> I don't think this is cheating, but this is being creative. And there's a whole wide world that we don't we're not really privy to in the movie. But it's like there's all these magical hooks to control the universe, I guess, in this in this movie. Right. It's a, it's like a control panel that you can't even see. And he reaches over and hits some of the controls that he learned about. And that is not inventing a new rule. That is being more educated than your enemy. <laughs> so or the person that you're struggling against in this case. So I just thought that was really cool. And I, I liked what you the way you explained the game theory there and 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 how he turned the probability. If you notice every iteration, the probability goes up that he's going to win. Right. And I think that's the key here is that when you get somebody into an infinite loop, when you're going to outlast them and you know you can, then the probability does go to 100 percent. Probability goes to 100. That's that's the game theory, right, is he recognized something that Dormammu didn't. And why? Because Dormammu has a fixed mindset and he has developed an open mindset. His open mindset says, I can play with all of these things. All these variables can be configured where Dormammu is so set on gaining power over, you know, another another universe or whatever, that he has basically locked all these variables into place. He's just like, we're just going to play. He thinks he he thinks he's won, so he just locks everything in. And he's just like, all right, we're just going to execute. Where Doctor Strange is constantly willing to pivot. He's like, okay, 
this is what's in front of me. How am I going to leverage this? And and like you said, what he recognizes is something that Dormammu can't possibly because Dormammu is has such a closed mind. It's that he actually has 100 percent win probability. And you see it. You like you basically see it on Dormammu's face and in his expressions over time. All right. We're back from Dr. Strange. Ooh, I like that. You talked a lot about creating an infinite loop, essentially. And we both agreed at the very end that a leader finds those infinite loops that you have the energy to put into. And the thing is, the thing that I really take away too here in reflection of item number 10 is that a leader finds a extremely low energy way to create an infinite loop and then gets the opponent into that energy loop. And I would say as a magnanimous leader, sets it up so that they are positively changed as well in the process, if possible, in addition to winning. What say you? Yeah, that's that's the for the good of others, right? It's crazy, but even your even your enemies and your nemesis, you want to try to change for the better through the process. So that's why when we talk about winning, we really want to find win wins. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get into Dormammu, what it what Dormammu is and means and stuff here, but ideally we want to change Dormammu as well. And we want, like you said, is is it good for Dormammu to win and just to continue to consume? No, he has just a ravenous hunger that's never going to be fulfilled. So he needs to be stopped in some way. And in this way, Doctor Strange kind of wards off <laughs> Dormammu from this universe and potentially changes the way that Dormammu thinks in doing so. So I think the takeaway here is that, yeah, strategy is tough for sure, but we can play the long game. And by playing the long game, sometimes it means, like you said, Derek, thinking strategically to set up these little infinite loops where you just like are incrementally increasing the chance of success. And by doing that, we're able to without tunnel visioning on the goal, continue to proceed towards the goal, continue to move all of the, the different players in the game towards the goal. Well, there's a there's also the fact that as you're growing, right, we're going to be talking about this in a second, but there's the fact that you are inventing new rules to the game that aren't, they're not written down, right? So you start to think of ways to play the game in new ways that other people haven't thought about. And it's because they're operating with a fixed mindset and you're operating with a growth mindset and you've gone out and you've acquired some new arcane skill. And that's really the essential piece of strategy, thinking in new ways, knowing that even when you operate in this new way, you're not really violating the fundamental rules of the game. You're just operating in a space that nobody else is operating in. Yeah, you're not violating the rules of the game. You're not violating your own integrity rules that you have or your own integrity model, as we'll get to later on. And thus, you're able to achieve spectacular results without necessarily having that spectacular confrontation. And that's actually the more realistic way to approach business and life. While the spectacular confrontation with Thanos or whatever is really exciting in cinema, it's not as practical in real life because that drains you and leaves you in a really bad spot usually. So if you can create these infinite loops that eventually have 100% or, or very close probability of success, that's the power of strategy. And that's why we always advocate for having strategy at the forefront of everything that we're doing as leaders. Because you know it's going to win out in the end. All right, let's move on to number eight. Magnanimous leaders build and shape environments that maximize the growth of others. Again, this is all about for the good of others, right? So a magnanimous leader makes an environment, creates an environment, and we found a nice clip from our earlier work in the Matrix. Andrew, tell us about that. 
We're going to be talking about Morpheus and how in the first Matrix movie, Morpheus takes Neo into the dojo, really. Right. He creates this space that's conducive for learning that has a lot of imagination to it, but also has some structure to it. It it has some walls and some boundaries that you can work within. And what the dojo means to me is it really is the combination of guiding somebody along a path while allowing them to create their own path. So it's really one of the ultimate mentoring moves that you can make. I love it. And it just takes care. It just takes, I could say mindfulness, but doesn't really have the impact. Mindfulness sounds like i am got my legs crossed and I'm floating in the air. So <laughs> that's not what Morpheus is doing here. Right? No, no, Morpheus is he's, he's being very active. It's just in his being active, he's allowing for organic growth. He's allowing for the long game instead of the short game where he's just like, Neo, you just need to be like this. Right? You just need to fix this about yourself. <laughs> He, right. he allows Neo to discover that for himself. And what we want to take away is that we can embed that growth mindset in others, not by telling them all about the growth mindset and how great it is, right? But instead by allowing them to experience it in a dojo-like environment. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's all about empathy. Empathy for the person who's growing. So let's play that and then we'll come back and talk a bit. A little bit of a playground. You have minimal consequences for learning the skills that you need to learn. What do you think about that? I think I can come up with a good example of where we've both done that, right? We create these environments for understanding a problem or a solution or some of both, right? We create these either a physical or a virtual environment. Basically, like you're creating a dojo and you're setting up some, you know, very loose boundaries around the outside of it and saying, okay, here are the walls of the dojo. And then you're putting in some frameworks and some concepts into the dojo and saying, okay, now I'm just going to maybe you're scheduling the meeting or maybe even ask the person that you're putting in the dojo to schedule that meeting or schedule that workshop or session. You're like, okay, I'm just going to set up some of the constructs of the dojo. I'll plan it out a little bit for you. But once we get in there and I've seen you do this a lot, Derek, you you kind of give them a couple, maybe a minute or two of of kind of a lead in You're like all right, now let's get going. And then you just kind of recede. And you're just like, all right, now you're in the dojo. Like whether you recognize it or not, you're going to, you're going to learn. And if at the end you fail, then we'll set up another experiment and you'll learn next time. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. It takes a pre-planned patience. And I think if you pre-plan your patience, you say, we're going to go through this multiple times. And really what I'm looking for is a little bit of progress, right? And if I don't see a lot of progress, then I say to myself, it's either something like a personal block and then you try to talk through that block or it could just be like knowledge-based, right? And the key is, is that you got to find somebody who continually comes back. And I think about Neo when he kind of, maybe his lips bleeding or something like that. And he gets that look in his eye and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that look in the eye coming back at me and saying, so as we're seeing there, In this clip, we're looking for a little bit of progress. Magnanimous Leader wants to kind of set up an environment where the person's not going to get hurt. They're not going to have any kind of trouble that is consequential. It's not for the leader that's setting it up. It's for the person who's in the dojo, right? Yeah, the dojo is not for you. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But the dojo, when you're thinking about someone else's development, trying to help them develop a growth mindset and become the leader you know they can be, it's not really about you. 
So when you're trying to design that dojo, you have to like check your bias at the door and and not try to make them in your own image, but instead let them to develop themselves, right? Because Neo doesn't become just like Morpheus. Neo becomes, you know, he has some of the same skills as Morpheus because Morpheus mentored him, but he's very different than Morpheus. And and Morpheus isn't the one. So right, Neo needed to be different. I think we can treat we can learn to treat everybody like the one. Yeah, they don't have to be the one who's gonna save humanity, right? But we can treat everybody as if they are the one. And if that's the case, then we look for these places to set up, whether it's large or small dojos, right? Sometimes you might set up a dojo for somebody on your team that lasts six months. And other times you might <laughs> other times you might be setting up a dojo that lasts 10 minutes and it's just a conversation. But you're kind of learning to craft that conversation around the dojo concept. How can you put them in an environment that you know that they are going to succeed? Start building that confidence in themselves to become that Kung Fu master like Neo. All right, well, why don't you introduce this next one, Drew, because this is the one that I kind of took you by surprise with when I suggested that we look into this one. And at first, I think you were like, Loki. Loki, yeah, I hadn't even watched it yet. I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, the best thus far Marvel Disney Plus series. So Loki, we're going to talk about how magnanimous leaders approach exploration with humility and patience. So our frame up here, while we could talk about the entire Loki series, we'll talk primarily about episode one and this Mobius Loki relationship that we've got going on here. At first, they're so opposite to each other. And yet Mobius is really able to leverage some of the dojo concept to help Loki to learn and grow and get out of his fixed mindset and have more of a growth mindset by the end of the episode. So that's really our bridge here is. The, the growth mindset, right? But how does Mobius do it? That's what I want to talk about because Mobius has this just patience to him where he's going to let, you know, he's going to let Loki operate in the dojo. He's going to let him make mistakes, but he's going to set up the structures and the boundaries around him so that even when Loki gets his hands on the Infinity Stone, right, it doesn't do anything. He's still stuck in the TVA in that moment. And so he has to come back to Mobius. And I love that by the end of this series, we see that Loki is learning to play that game as well. He's learning to be that type of a leader and he's using those exact same tactics back on Mobius. And it, you know, we all love to see that type of resolution. (laughs) Oh, I love that as a leader. Someone turns around and ultimately uses those tactics to change me for the better. That's why we're doing this. Can I say that again? I mean, that's what we do for each other when we're working on this show, right? When we're working on the, the content here is... We come to these realizations, we're like, oh, crap, that was me. I did that. Part of this reflection is coming back to some of those realizations that we had earlier. So and being like, I was so naive. I was in the dojo here. Wonder Tour is a dojo. Wonder Wonder Tour is an environment where we have to have patience and we we have to take the tour and and go up the mountain and come back down and, and think about what it is that we really learned. So. I'm going to play the clip here and we'll come right back. He's been jumping around timelines for I don't know how many, I don't, I don't know how long. There is no time here. Maybe essentially he operates outside of 3D space. So he could have been jumping around forever doing this as, you know, for all of time, essentially, he has been uh, out here protecting the sacred timeline. So he seems to be a really good time detective, too. At least the way the other characters interact with him, like maybe he's a little bit out there, but they trust him. He has good relationships. So, so there's something about him. I'm like, 
does he have some skill set? Does he have, you know, is it is he has learned a way to approach this. It's not the only way necessarily, but he has a model to approach discovery. And it seems that he is super curious. I mean, Owen Wilson was a perfect character to play this role. Just his voice when he asks questions and stuff like that. He comes off as so curious. And you just it's just so different than what you're seeing with Loki, who is trying to put everything inside of a box that he already knows. Instead, Mobius, because he's seen so many things and probably been wrong about what he's thought so many times, his frame of reference is like, I'm just going to come into this with humility, acting like I don't know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And I'll work from there where Loki comes in and he's like, well, I'll come in assuming I'm smarter than everybody else and I can just predict what's going to happen next and get out and I'll always be one step ahead of them. Well, I was going to say that humility tends to have goals that are more realistic and Loki had more of like this, I'm going to zap you and I'm going to zap you and I'm going to zap you, brother, and I'm going to zap you. And and so that's kind of his goal. And he's going to become, what did he say? The leader of Midgard, right? That was this thing. Like, he, I'm going to become the ruler of Midgard. And, and I love how Mobius, so humility in a way can mock pride. And he, and he did it like this. He said, don't you want to be king of space? <laughs> That's so funny when he says king of space, right? In a way, humility already knows where pride's going to go full circle. And so humility says to pride, why don't you go bigger? (laughs) Because humility knows that pride's going to collapse and become humility, right? And so I think that's the wisdom. All right, that that was great. And then I think the main thing there is seeing how Mobius is humility changes Loki, right? We know that Loki's got all this pride. He's all puffed up, right? He's he's really going to he's really going to show everybody. And then Mobius really just lets him wear himself out, right? He comes in with right Mobius doesn't have that much pride because he's the agent of the TVA. He's just like, "You know what? I'm here to make sure that we preserve the sacred timeline." That's he has a clear sense of purpose. And when you have a clear sense of purpose and you know that you have other people that are that are working with you towards that purpose, it's relieving. And so you can you can really bring more good character traits to the table here. So like you said, he changes Loki through humility and we see Loki becoming more humble. By interacting with Mobius, Mobius, in every time that he has an opportunity to work with Loki, he's defending weirdly. He's kind of defending Loki, right? He's like, well, I think they're still good in him. I think, you know, we should give him a chance. And in doing that, that's really the for the good of others, right? He's he's not doing it to protect himself because it would be easier for him if he just said, all right, just zap Loki, then just get rid of him. We caught him. You know, we, we'll catch all the variants and we'll just keep zapping him. But it's in his willingness to make the sacrifice of defending Loki and continuing to try to improve Loki's character through patience and humility that we see Mobius's magnanimous character rub off. And he has that little bit of curiosity there, too. I want to note that he's seen a lot of Lokis. (laughs) He's seen the alligator Loki. (laughs) He's seen the really weird Lokis. He's seen them all go by. He's pruned them all. Uh, he, He hasn't pruned them personally. But the point is, is that he has that curiosity really refined along with his humility and he can give people a chance in that way. So I think that's good because you can kind of get, you can get a little small with humility sometimes and you can, you can really minimize yourself to the point where you you don't have any impact. And a magnanimous leader doesn't do that. They continue to grow as well as have the curiosity to move things forward. 
versus making things small and collapsing them down to where I'm just humble. I'm a small voice. A, a magnanimous leader would never go there. A magnanimous leader would always be expanding in some way with their with their humility and being present in a lot of different ways. All right, let's go to number six. Number six is magnanimous leaders know when to go all in on the future. And trade here is near and dear to you. So I want to let you kind of frame it up. I'd like to really hear that patented Drew way of delivering it. (laughs) Well, we're finally to Interstellar here on number six. It won't be the last Interstellar clip that we play in this top 10, but we got to talk about the what I call the barrel fixer trait. So when we were doing the first Interstellar episode, episode five, we because it's a Christopher Nolan movie specifically, we look at the names of the characters and what they mean, because Nolan is very, uh, very purposeful with each thing that he does, especially the names of the characters. And so we looked up Cooper and in doing some diving, we found that Cooper can mean barrel fixer. So this idea of the Coopers being barrel fixers kind of caught on as I looked at the universe and kind of like a visual (laughs) version of the universe and thought about it like a barrel. And so then as we've gone forward with the 45 episodes after that episode, we've started to see that this barrel fixer trait is present in just about every great magnanimous leader that we've come across, that they really want to restore and renew things. And so they are willing to prioritize the future and sacrifice themselves to do so. And it's really weird because barrel fixer doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it means something to us, right? And so we, you can liken it to a restorer maybe, but if you're familiar with the Wonder Tour, if you've been going on this Wonder Tour with us, they're barrel fixers. They're coopers essentially, right? That, that we're looking for people who know that they can't do it by themselves, but they will not give up on the future. They just want to see people flourishing. I have never fixed a barrel in my life. <laughs> That's a hard task, actually. So you've got that metal ring. You've got those wood pieces. I mean, those things have to be like just so. Anyway, just saying. All right. So we're going to go ahead and play the clip here and let you hear kind of the way we framed it up. It allows me to take and put those pieces in my toolbox. Well, and I think that's a perfect way into the next moral, which is leaders bet big, right? And I caution anybody to bet big, but I'm just saying it's something you build up to. Okay. You start making decisions in a certain direction. And Cooper first made the decision, which was kind of a big one. And this is typically what starts is it comes some kind of a breaking type decision, right? Where you break with your norms and he starts to bet big. He starts this leverage in the entire movie that really is a series of what I call double downs. As he gets to a decision point, he's like, I'm doubling down. And he gets to another decision point, I'm doubling down. So think about, okay, he doubles down, gets on the rocket, right? Goes up into space. Okay, now we're going to the wormhole. I'm doubling down again. I'm going through this wormhole, right? I get to the planet. We lose Doyle, okay? I, I double down on sparking the engines, getting off the planet. Get up to the thing, right? And he doubled down on the, the relativity several times, right? The whole movie is one big leveraged bet the farm. He left the farm. He bet the farm on his son. Then he goes and gets up into space and he bets the farm again because the farm is counting on him, right? And he continues to bet the farm the entire rest of the movie. And that is how you can connect all these sequences. And that's why it's such a just an emotional like when you think about all the leadership decisions that have to be made, this is literally someone who's driven by pure hope 
But I want to call into attention, right, that the fragility of all this, the spaceships, fragile, the human vessels are fragile. They're aging due to relativity. The, the spaceships themselves, you hear them rattle and shake the entire movie, right? Every time they go through some kind of a physical event, you just wonder, is this whole thing going to fly apart? These people like are mad at each other. They get angry at each other. There's all this fragility going on in the entire movie. And I think that's why it is such a powerful leadership lesson, because that's exactly how it works, isn't it? When you when you make and you bet big, give me some give me. So the two know, things that jump out to me about that clip are that the first one being betting the farm, betting big. Many times the magnanimous leader bets big on people. They really don't often bet big on purely technology or purely process. If we're talking people, process, and technology here. He bets big on Murph. He bets big on Murph. He puts it all really on a person. And she right? bets big on him. And she too, bets right? big Once on she him. recognizes yeah. at that moment that he didn't leave her behind, that this was what he had to do, and that he he isn't he wasn't planning to never make it back when she sees you know, she sees the the watch ticking and realizes what it is, then from that moment on she has a resolve. And now she's she doubles down over and over and over again in, in the moments that we probably don't get to see really until she gets to the moment where, you know, they find him floating out near the the wormhole and they bring him back in and they wake her up again to see him one last time. And it's this that doubling down that I want to talk about here, betting the farm. It's not for everything. We don't bet the farm on the football game. Right. We don't bet the farm on, you know, that one this one business decision. Usually what we bet the farm on is the end purpose, the end goal. That's why we want to weave this into being barrel fixers. Right. Because when it comes to being barrel fixers, when it comes to being the type of people that can lead and can help others to become the best versions of themselves and can help the world to flourish, that's when you want to double down. And I also want to add on there, the second thing I was going to say was the fragility piece. And it really does factor back into being a fixture of a newer. We're all fragile in, in certain ways, and a magnanimous leader isn't going to, they're not going to totally fix it. If you think about all the things that Cooper fixed, maybe in the movie, they may have bypassed a few systems on the spaceship. They may have dumped all the fuel. There are different ways to fix things. When you're betting big and you're going towards that purpose, you're going to fix the just the thing that is needed to keep you going towards that purpose. And you understand the fragility of what you're dealing with, that you've just got to get to this next step and you'll figure it out. And I think that's one thing that I really took along with it, right along with it. And that's why I think I personally, when I was talking about it with you, that I brought in the fragility next because you have those fragility moments as a barrel fixer. You're like, oh, I just got this metal band on this thing. I just got this piece of wood. Oh, this piece of wood's got a crack. I got to go for it. This thing's going to hold water. This barrel is going to hold water again. I know it. I may have gotten this from a shipping crate. Whatever right? You, you jam the square peg in the round hole 
sometimes because you're like, this is going to get us to the next step. That's going to let us double down again and ultimately get us through to our purpose. So it's exciting. That's where the moments where being a leader is the most exciting because you see it just over the horizon. The purpose is almost here. You've almost gotten to it. At least that next one, right? You can see it so clearly. You can feel it and you can emulate it out to those around you. That's really what it means to be a barrel fixer. And just again, one of the pieces of it is that we double down and kind of leading into number five here, magnanimous leaders are dedicated to reality. And with that, we're going to bring an inception where we talked about breaking down the projections, right? Cobb has these projections that he keeps putting up, that he keeps dealing with of his wife, really himself, that this version of himself that he's kind of just coping with. And what we see is in order to be a barrel fixer, you know, we, we really want to be like Cooper, not like Cobb <laughs> to some extent, because we need to be dedicated to reality. And that's what Cooper is, right? That's why Cooper leaves. So tying <laughs> number six and number five together, why does it, it's so jarring? I think that that is one of the great moments in all of cinema when Cooper is driving away and you have the countdown of the spaceship leaving and Murph is like screaming, no, and you, you know, she doesn't understand. And it's just bringing tears to your eyes. You're just like, why, why does he have to go? But then you understand by the end that it's because he was dedicated to reality. Everyone else in the world, it seems was, was okay with the projections. Oh, well maybe the crop will come back next year. You know, maybe we'll just keep narrowing the scope until everything, you know, looks okay around me. Until it's literally non-existent. My world is non-existent anymore. But Cooper saw the bigger picture and fought for it. And so as we introduce this next clip where Cobb, we talk about how Cobb deals with his projections. It just fits right into this magnanimous leader character that we're trying to build. A magnanimous leader tears down projections rigorously and looks for reality and truth. One of the key marks of a magnanimous leader is somebody who kind of ruthlessly tears down projections, but in a compassionate way, because you can't just go into other people's lives and tear down projections. But in our own lives, that's where we really need to seek out and destroy the projections. We can't have Mal running around gunking things up. We need to have closure on these traumatic events in our lives so that they're not continuing to to leak out into reality and cause mischief. We got to be doing the work on ourselves. You got to be committed to that. Do that work. Work that stuff out. Because you're right. It spills over. And we end up putting on some false fronts. We think, this is who I am. But is it? Is it really? If you're actually being truthful to yourself, haven't you just erected that because you want this group of people to like you or you want to have influence in this area? It's a dark road. We talk about lots of different things about a magnanimous leader and how they can't be about that because it's there's an integrity issue there. And we'll get to integrity later in the countdown. But that's why we don't want to pursue projections. All right, let's go ahead and play the clip and then we'll come back. We had a lot of deliberation on what we were going to do as the moment today. Like, like we said at the beginning, almost anything could have been chosen for this one. But what we ended on is... On the third level down, when they're in like the military compound with the ho with the hospital room in the center of it that they're trying to in Fisher's dream, basically, we should say when 
Cobb finally has to overcome Mal. And he, he, he's been failing this test over and over again, especially in front of Ariadne. He keeps failing this test. Mal keeps showing up and, and in front of Arthur as well, right? But he, every time she shows up, she messes stuff up and, and Cobb fails to stop her before she does it because he can't bring himself to shoot her or whatever, even though he knows that she's just a projection. It's and we can you can empathize with him here because I can imagine that's incredibly painful situation to to put him in. The problem is that like that pain is past, you know, it's it's present pain, but that that event is in the past and these people that he's here with are in the present. And so he needs to obviously overcome that in order to protect the people in the present because there's no use in holding on to the past at the at the cost of the present basically. <laughs> so our moment is when Maul shows up and she breaks through the window or like slides down the rope, whatever. And she shoots Fisher. And then finally uh, Ariadne's there and she's just like, Cobb, like get a hold of yourself. Cause he's holding the sniper rifle and looking at her. And then finally he pulls the trigger. And at this moment, it seems like an inflection point for Cobb where he finally makes the right decision. So I thought you really nailed that explanation there. And really what you did, in my opinion, was that you brought us right to the edge of making a decision. And isn't that what we do? We get pushed to the edge of making those decisions to, in some ways, X out part of ourselves, right? Because we know that that part isn't real anyway. Cobb does that with Maul. And I think that's the key point. And that's the learning that we're taking away from that one. And it's it's huge. And it's one that you have to kind of chew on and extrapolate. And you have to ask yourself. And I think you can ask a close friend, too. You can be like, do you think that's fake? That's a fake part of me. It's something to consider. One way to, is to say we want to break down the projections. The other thing we could say is, you know, we want to root out the false self, right? There's just this part of ourself that some days you think this is what makes you up. This is what's core to you, but it's not. If you're really grounded in reality, in a, you know, trying to build relationships with other people, trying to care about them more than you care about yourself, then these false versions of you, these false ideas that you have, like they have to be cast out. And so I, I just thought this was a really great moment where we can see that Cobb is finally taking one step in that direction to get rid of the projections, to get rid of those those falsities. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's not only what comes out, but is also what's happening inside. That's great. All right, let's move on to number four in our top 10 here. Number four, magnanimous leaders know how to pass on work at the end of their chapter, sometimes the end of your own book. And that really is about legacy. And I think you have to be I don't want to say obsessed with legacy because you can go too far with that too. Well, I'm, I'm dying in 5.7 years. It's, how do you know that? <laughs> Just stop already, right? However, you do know that you are a living being, that you know that you're going to expire at some point. Whether that's your career, you say career countdown. I'm going to be on a beach and you're going to be here in this chair, sitting here on this computer. Everybody has that moment. I would say almost everybody has that moment. And they have to think about how to navigate legacy, not only for themselves, but how they come off 
when they're navigating their legacy. And so much about this that really impacted me personally, and dare I say you, Drew, is that we want to navigate handing off a chapter or a book very well. And a magnanimous leader does that because they see their place in the narrative, right? Yeah, and I think as I've thought about it longer, the chapter and the book handing off are almost the same, right? If you learn how to hand off the chapter well, then you'll be able to hand off the book well. And there's a couple different dimensions to it. But the priority dimension, I would say, is focused on the character, right? If you become a person of magnanimous character, what you will pass off to other people will by and large be that character, and it will be multiplied across the network of people that you pass it to. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll the clip on number four. We're talking interstellar, passing on work at the end of a chapter. When you're transferring the fire, you're going to make mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes power you in a way. They can because other people are going to make mistakes too. There's no perfect transition of the fire. It's going to be a little bit of a, you know, oh, but tried to hand it here and the fire fell on the ground and like we got to go back again to the bonfire and get a little bit more. And like, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of stops and starts there. I mean, I would say here, and you know, as we're, as we're wrapping is that think of it like a package and it's got a bow on it. Don't pull the string on the bow. Let the person that you give it to do that, right? That's what he starts to do. He's like, look, I know you're not going to like what's inside. I know you're not going to like what I'm giving you because I lied and all this stuff. But what about the other 90% of things that he set the groundwork for? He had a solid theory. He just didn't know quite how to solve it because it looped back on itself or whatever. Murph figured that out. He didn't know she could do that. So, I think the the most important thing to remember here is, is that when we're handing off to somebody, don't assume you know what their capabilities are to take it forward. You may think that you have a profile of the fire carrier or the light carrier. You may not. And you can't necessarily assume. And I think that's what induces panic is like, oh, they're not going to be as good as me. No, they're not you. (laughs) That's the thing. They're just not you. And you don't have to dwell on that so much. Your time is done. You have to let go of it at this point. That's your job. Your job is to let go well. And letting go well, obviously, is starting early and then dovetailing. That's great to hear that again. Moment the main point say, there, though, is that the person that you're handing off to is not you. And you have to realize that. Take yourself out of it a little bit. The first step is in, in my mind, the way I handle it is to see the next chapter without you in it. If you can do that as a leader and you can see how the chapter continues on without you in it, you are on the road to handing this off well, whatever it may be, because it's not Derek's thing or it's not Drew's thing. It's actually just the thing. And you can put a leader next to it And this initiative, this project, this effort, whatever it may be, there's so many times I've seen people just can't seem to let their hand like uncurl around the thing and they've grappled on so tight and it's like a teddy bear. It's like this safety blanket and they hold on to it. And you know what that does? That keeps somebody from coming into that spot, but worse, it keeps you from growing, doesn't it, Drew? I think that's why this moment is so ideal for what we're looking at here, passing on your work at the end of the chapter, because it's haunting. It's it's the whole 
issue that you have with Dr. Brand in a nutshell where he is holding so tightly to it. But at the same time, you don't at the end of the movie see him as the villain by any means. He's not the bad guy. He's just a guy and he did a good job, albeit he had some misgivings. And so I I just feel like it feels really personal (laughs) because we all have reached that moment before in, you know, maybe it's not the fate of the universe, the mission that's going to save humanity, but we've all reached that moment before, I think, where we're laying there on the deathbed at the end of the project or at the end of the initiative or the end of the relationship or whatever, you know, somebody's going to move away and you're saying like, I could have done better. Like you said, I love the way you talked about it is, but don't, don't unwrap it and tell them what they're getting and tell them how to, how to see it and view it instead, like leave the bow on it. And just view the next chapter as something that you're not going to be one of the main characters in the next chapter. That's really helpful for me when I think about how to transition things, right? You always want to just look at, hey, I want this to be something that you can really enjoy because I've enjoyed it. And I think that you're going to do different and better than I did. And I'm just going to I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to say a few words. I'm going to do the best job I can, but I'm not going to be bogged down by that for the rest of my days. That's perfect. That's exactly that was certainly my take on it, and I think we really got what was important there. Let's move on to number three. Magnanimous leaders know that integrity holds it all together. And when we did this episode, we really started to realize very quickly that there was more to integrity than we ever thought and how integral it was to this magnanimous leadership that we are finding and we found in the first 50 episodes. And you might be wondering why integrity is a nice follow up to legacy. And we aim to, over the next two clips, talk through why it is, why integrity is vital to legacy. Integrity is vital to who we are and who we're becoming. And like you said, Derek, I don't think we realize that. And I think having to go into the world of Encanto, having to that first episode in our integrity series and learn a lesson. I mean, I think we went in thinking that that Mirabelle was the primary character that was going to teach us about integrity. And she absolutely did teach us about integrity. But we also learned that Casita was going to teach us about integrity. And I don't think we had any idea that that was going to happen until we were already halfway through the episode talking about Casita and realizing that, wow, actually, integrity is structural. Integrity is all about foundations. It's all about having having something that you can stand on and having something that can hold all of the different people and themes and traits together coherently. It's a heck of a tagline. I learned everything I need to know about integrity from a house. (laughs) You get committed. (laughs) But you can do it on Wonder Tour. All right, well, let's play the clip and we'll come back. Follow that the magic is naturally perpetuating itself and it doesn't know. And again, I've said some of this in in more and fewer words (laughs) already in this podcast, but I'm just trying to crystallize it. Acting with integrity acting as the house does with the magic doesn't seek to perpetuate oneself. Instead, it seeks to perpetuate good character and magnanimous character across the world. And it recognizes that if we get torn down, we will have sown many more seeds that will grow elsewhere. Thus, Now we have a reason to sacrifice. Now we have, dare I say it, a reason to die. Because if you can die in order that others could live, then it would be worth it. Okay, we're back. What you said there about the integrity of the house, and really what I think jumped out to me 
out of the clip was that you talked about being torn down. You're going to sow more seeds than you ever could have realized, projected. And I think that's so true with integrity. I think that's the key here. Integrity is really important. You got to play the long game. And sometimes you get consumed in the process, but you hold the line. That's the key thing that I took away from that right there. You hold the line. It's worth holding the line. It's not lame to hold the line. It's not dorky to hold the line. <laughs> you catch a lot of heat when you're a kid. We're trying to have integrity. People are like, what is wrong with you? Why are you, why are you so high-minded? Are you judgmental? You, you may get that. So maybe that's integrity can be very misunderstood at times. And I think that's what I'm taking away here. Even the family didn't understand it. And I think that's what's so cool is that I don't think I've ever heard anybody identify integrity with the story of Encanto. But there it was. It's all right there in front of you. The house and the magic, the integrity there, it held Mirabelle together. It, it kept Bruno from completely falling apart. And in the end, it brought the family and the town back together, right? It, and it's the, the ability to, even when the house was completely torn to pieces, the house still managed to protect Mirabelle just by like shooting out those shutters or whatever to, to cover her head when all the debris was falling, when the house was crumbling. And that moment was like seared into my brain. <laughs> I just continually think back on that as my model for integrity is that even when the world is crumbling, you're still trying to hold together because you know that there's still somebody left. There's still somebody that you can protect. There's still somebody that you can love even when everything else is crumbling. And I just didn't realize that integrity had the tie-in to all the other themes and traits until we started to look at it in this series. And I started to understand that integrity is one of the core models. Integrity is one of the models that sits all the way in at your core and holds everything else together. Number two, magnanimous leaders know that character starts with integrity. We've talked to you a lot about integrity so far. So when we went into the prestige, we had such a lens going into that because we were on the tail end of the integrity series. This is episode 47 and 48. And this story is just like, like my mind is blown, especially looking at it with an integrity lens. What I said in one of the episodes was it's much more than one upmanship. It's so much more than one upmanship. There is so much more going on here. And if you look with an integrity lens, you can see it all. It's almost like x-ray vision. What do you think? Yeah, it ties back into our moment number three from Encanto. This is a more specific implementation of it where we're talking about how integrity is the foundation for all of your other models, essentially. None of them can hold together without integrity. So with that, if our our mission is to become better leaders for the good of others, and we want to develop this magnanimous character in order to do that, then it follows that integrity is one of the founding pieces and one of the key pieces, because without it, everything else crumbles. All right. So let's listen to the clip 
and we'll be right back. Way to achieve the prestige. You don't. Your stage is not. You know. You don't get to talk to your sponsor and just have this this hundred hundred nights of events, right? It's it's varied. It's all over the place, right? You have opportunities here and there. Sometimes they come up, and sometimes you know randomly, and sometimes they get pulled away from you. But so the only way to be prepared for to be able to have those prestige moments where you can really transform yourself and others is to have integrity at the bottom. It has to be the founding piece. My final thing here is I want to make sure that as leaders, we understand the signs of pursuing the wrong prestige. If you think back to the movie, this is what I want to close on personally for me. I'll let you have the last word after this. But if you're pursuing the wrong prestige, you will be making significant structural changes to your personal life. If that is in, if that prestige is in your work life and vice versa, you will be making significant structural changes, which will ultimately come with consequences and drive inconsistency. Great example, really wants to have a great prestige. He goes and gets this like fake person that looks like him. He has to then dance around this guy and you can't let the cat out of the bag. You can't go here. No, no, no. You can't go there. You, you, you're all of a sudden restricted. You, that's the thing is the opposite of integrity is like really constriction because you, you have by essence having compartments in your life. You then have a smaller operating ability within those compartments. You can't connect them anymore. And when you can't connect these worlds anymore, you start to spend way more energy managing it all because you're not the same person in this compartment. You are this person in this compartment. You don't do this over here in this compartment of your life. You do this over in this compartment of your life. And if you're trying to do something big, good luck. Because as as someone who's a human and you have limits, you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have all these things. Are you going to add that on top? Think about that as a leader. Do you really think you can keep that up? Do you really think you can keep up the illusion? That is what I would take away from this is that be careful when you have compartments in your life. You want to drive towards completeness and wholeness. You can't have these separate rooms to your life and who you are as a leader. It's going to fall apart eventually. It's only a matter of time. And we're back. I think what I take away the most from this journey that we've been on over about 10 episodes to learn about integrity is that integrity is this macro thing that holds all of our models together, but it's also this micro thing that exists in every instance, in every decision, in every interaction, in each event, right? Integrity pervades, or you know, let's just say our, our level of integrity development is built on each and every interaction that we have and decision that we make. And then it, from those, you know, our model is built. And then from our model, those decisions are made. And that's why we're just putting such an emphasis on integrity here, because without it, all of these other traits are basically useless because you're, they're going to be exhibited inconsistently, which will not result in the end that we have in mind of character development for ourselves and others. It will end with split mind, anxiety, and just the inability to make a true impact in the world as we we maybe make some good decisions, lead some people the right way, but then make the wrong mistake at a critical moment. And again, not that we can't recover from those. We absolutely can. But we want to set ourselves up to be able to pass those tests when we get to those moments. You're going to mess it up. We're going to mess it up. We do mess it up. We have messed it up. It takes a lot of intention and order to get what you want to happen with integrity and with your leadership. Again, 
even with the mistakes, even in spite of the mistakes, if you're not there structurally contributing to chaos, which is what these two magicians were doing in this past clip we looked at, they were structurally contributing to their own downfall. And they knew it. They knew it. They just wanted to win, right? Whatever those reasons were, we can go into that episode. Feel free. (laughs) Go back to the episode and really dig into it. But the whole point is, is try to catch yourself as a leader slipping before you slip too far. And so there's this like really good side of it, what you can do with integrity. There's also the other side of it, which is you got to protect your integrity so it doesn't degrade because it will degrade every other trait about you. And that leads wonderfully into our next one. Are you ready for it, Drew? Number one, magnanimous leaders know that our character is our destiny. To quote the great Heraclitus, (laughs) we want to say character equals destiny. So you can see why we've led into this top three by focusing on integrity, because that character development and eventually our destiny or, you know, our purpose, who we will become, it's all founded in our integrity that we have today. And so we're going to bring in a clip from Dune. Dune is such a it has such a great example as we've looked at these magnanimous leaders, these barrel fixers, if you will, as we talked about up in clip number six. There's a certain aura to them. And Duke Leto in Dune embodies that. I don't know what it is. We we don't sorry. I don't know why it is that he is that way. But he has such great integrity that we can see it extends to those around him. It actually like vouches for the lack of integrity in those around him. And we can see how by him consciously making every decision to play the long game for the good of others, that even when he passes, even when he dies, his mission can still be accomplished. I want to note that you also said it was Oscar Isaac's face. (laughs) (laughs) It was a classic Drew moment. All right, let's go into the clip here and we'll be right back haven't been tuned into wonder tour for a long time we keep talking about character development because we're here to become great leaders and and if for the good of others and if that is the case then there's a heavy emphasis on character development so we have this working model for character development that's kind of been fine-tuned over time john mark comer is one of the guys who's kind of tuned it up a little bit but i've you know added in and pulled out some other stuff as well but the idea is that you have thoughts and feelings, right? We all have thoughts and feelings flowing through us all the time. Those thoughts and feelings will give way to actions. Those actions, as they are done repeatedly, become behaviors, they become habits. And those habits then feed back into this feelings and thought cycle that leads to actions. And over time, they, they start to form out your character. And then, of course, as Heraclitus said, your character is your destiny. And so, when we deconstruct that, we find that we need to look at our thoughts and our feelings first. And, and through that lens, we can understand how our character is going to develop and then our destiny or who we're going to become, what our story, how is our story going to play out? That's our destiny, right? I'm a big fan of three word quotes. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay, so that's I, not what I gave you there. <laughs> well, that's what I got, you know, in the notes. You know, yeah, character is character. I like that. I mean, when you can boil it down, right? Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. No, there's. Um, I'm just going to throw a, a seven-word version of that at you. This is from a a, a, a novel by Ursula K. Le Guin. The, her flavor of this is uh, how you play is what you win. <laughs> 
So, mm. you know, Ooh. and that's part of the part of the same sort of methodology is like what you know, what you're going to carry away with you from your experience is how you approach the experience. Right. The, 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 the prize, the prize isn't anything else. Oh, that's awesome. What comes to mind, it's funny when uh, Lando and Han Solo are playing for the Falcon. <laughs> so that's, that's the first one that came to mind because you used the word play. And I was thinking, oh, what's the best gambling scene I've seen? That's, that's a good one, right? And, and yeah. hey, he, he played just like a Millennium Falcon, scrappy and barely put together. So that's good, guys. I appreciate appreciate that. <laughs> that, that I didn't even that see intro. how the, that was closing out, Derek, until you said that. <laughs> that was perfect. That was stu- he stuck the landing on that one. That was excellent. Well, if you saw the movie Solo, you know how they landed. So, <laughs> and we're back. Great clip there from Dune. Character is Destiny. We have fun on this show, don't we? It's not we all do serious. Like to have fun. Yeah, I know. I get too serious. serious. <laughs> well, I do too sometimes, and we 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 break each other out of that loop and. I think that that shows that that the journey doesn't have to be a serious one all the time. We certainly do have our serious moments. We certainly jump in with both feet because there's a sincerity to it. We are sincere when we're doing this. At the same time, we want to have fun, don't we? We have to. And that's why I thought this was a great clip to bookend the top 10. On the flip side, we had the Office Prince Family paper clip. Now at number one, we have this character's destiny clip where we tie together Dune and Star Wars. And it just it really felt right to pull this together. I also like this one because there's not a lot of explanation needed at the end. Right. We talked character equals destiny. And then Brian brought in the quote, how you play is what you win, which is like on the same axes as character equals destiny in my head. Right. Just like he was thinking about it, where they almost mean the exact same thing. And I just feel that is the number one takeaway from the first 50 episodes of Wonder Tour is character equals destiny. So if we want to make a great impact for the good of others, then we must first curate our character because who we are now and who we are becoming is exactly what we will accomplish and who we will impact, right? It all is, it's all actually one thing. The future doesn't exist. The present is, yeah, okay, now we're getting into a Wonder Tour theoretical rabbit hole here. <laughs> but it, it, truly, character is destiny. And so that's why we're, we're putting such an emphasis on it. And we will continue to put such an emphasis on it over the next 50 episodes. In fact, that's how we're going to close out our episodes. Yeah, that's the new tagline. And we do that to put the focus on it, put the focus where it needs to be. We hope that you've really enjoyed this episode. This is, again, one that's very special for us because we think that if you're just walking into Wonder Tour from the outside, that you can get a good understanding across the board of what we've been into on this podcast, what our goals are, what we're about. And hopefully that's something that resonates with you. We walk into it where we don't really know exactly what we're going to find. We have an idea now at this point. We kind of have an idea like we kind of know like, okay, we think that we're going to kind of head into this topic, but we don't know what's going to pop out at us. And that's the tour part. That's what we see along the way. That's what we see in the journey. We want to take you as well as several guests. We've built a lot of good relationships up from doing having some guests on the show, which has been great. Having different friends on colleagues what have you they've really enjoyed it they've told us after the fact they're like wow i just it was just really fun i really like this kind of frame up i like this kind of way of talking about things because it's very open and you're not really constricted there's no script here 
I want to say that as we close out. We don't have a script. We have maybe an outline. We got a few points, but other than that, everything else is just like us talking about these things. And I think that's that's the number one way to get to it where you don't feel like, oh wow, I can't get there. That's the last thing we want you to think. We do not want you to think, oh, I can't get there. Baloney. The point is, is that you can attain that. You can see that. You can do that. It, it doesn't take a financial thing. It doesn't character. It doesn't cost anything. It costs. It'll take your time. It'll take your energy. But think about how that's spent. You have to decide how you want to spend that time. How you want to how you want to spend that energy. Growing, developing, doing the work. What do you say about that, Drew? Well, as we close out here in episode fifty, just echo what you said, Derek. If you enjoyed this. Please feel free to reflect back on the full length episodes. You know, there is one or two full length episodes about every single piece of media that we talked about here that we put our heart and soul into. And as you said, Derek, it's about having fun and enjoying the journey. So if you have something to contribute to this journey, you know, do it with your friend group. Do it with us on Twitter at The Wonder Tour. You know, reach out. We want to talk about these things because we love it. It stirs something in us. It's something about a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie, a Nolan movie that it just stirs something in you to want to be like the magnanimous leaders, the barrel fixers that we come across. So if that's the case, then we should carry this conversation into our lives wherever we go, right? Looking for examples of where we can take these great story pointers and help them to change us and to change others around us. That's great. Couldn't say it better myself. And I've said that a number of times in the first 50 episodes. All right, I'm going to close it out here. Remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.